I think just about all of us will agree that the world needs to be a more peaceful place. And uh, certainly we can look around us and see all kinds of evidence that, uh, that in fact we are not at peace. And not just in places where there is open warfare, but uh, even within our own individual lives and in our communities, there, there is a need for peace, for a more harmonious uh, coexistence and a spirit of, of cooperation and compassion with one another. One of the most interesting books I have seen on this topic is a book just published called Putting Peace First, Seven Commitments to Change the World. The author of the book is Eric David Dawson, who is the CEO of an organization called Peace First, which he helped to create right around the time that he graduated from high school. Uh, as a very young person, Eric David Dawson was interested in trying to be a peacemaker in his own community. And uh, he has taken that cause uh, to higher and higher levels. And in fact, uh, Peace First works uh, not only here but, but abroad as well to try to galvanize young people in particular to be peacemakers. And we're going to be exploring uh, some of what he talks about in this book, which is published by Viking. Again, it's called Putting Peace First. Eric David Dawson, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Thank you so much for having me. You open the book with something very interesting in the prologue in which you talk about how you as a young person would have been somebody that we would not have maybe immediately thought of as a peacemaker in the making. The first sentence of the book is, I was a pretty angry kid. You mean that in a particular way. Describe to our listeners the way in which you were actually a very angry kid. So, I, you know, I don't think I'm, I'm unusual in this, in, in that um, as a young person, I picked up on a lot of the adult hypocrisy around me, uh, where adults would talk about one thing being important and then model something different. Uh, I was frustrated by the injustices that I saw around me and my lack of uh, perceived power to make a difference. And the reason I wanted to start with that invitation is because there are young people all over our country um, who are angry. Um, and what we tend to do is uh, dismiss anger as a bad thing. And what I wanted to invite young people to do is to think about um, their own anger, their own frustration, uh, not as negative, but as an opportunity uh, to leverage those emotions to try to heal a, a very broken world. Mm. So explain how you first, in a sense, became a peacemaker in, in your own community, in your own backyard? What were some of the first efforts which you personally undertook? So I went to a, a very large uh, public high school in the Midwest, and this was the start of the inclusion movement, uh, which meant that young people with disabilities who'd been kept in substantially separate learning environments for most of their education were being uh, mainstream, uh, joining the regular ed population for health class and lunchtime and, and gym class um, and, and basically got, got the crap beat out of them, uh, you know, either physically or, or emotionally. Um, and so as a 14-year-old with, with a group of other young people, that really connected to um, my, my sense of justice. Um, and so I began organizing at my school to change the way that students treated one another. 
So rather than the principal saying, where is there a tolerance school, we don't do that, it was student to student saying, this is not who we are. And it worked. It, it changed the culture of our school, made it a more accepting, tolerant, welcoming place. Uh, and, of course, it didn't feel like enough. Uh, so uh, with, with my fellow students, began creating a district-wide training program for every fourth, fifth, and sixth grader around uh, inclusion uh, of people with disabilities. Um, and so for me, it was the first time I got to feel powerful uh, in a way that it wasn't about hurting someone else but creating new opportunities. Mm. In the book's introduction that follows the prologue, uh, you talk about a big lie that young people are told again and again. And it is a lie that is delivered with the best of intentions, but nevertheless, in your mind, is a counterproductive lie. I want to read the first paragraph and then have you take it from there. This is the book's introduction. You are the future. The scene could be from any assembly at any school anywhere in the world. An inspirational speaker sweating in the bright lights of the auditorium, explaining how important you will be someday. It seems from the moment you are born, adults are talking about your bright future, how with hard work, focus, and determination, you will be a great writer, athlete, leader, teacher, artist, whatever, someday. How at some distant point in the future, you will change the world. This is a lie. Explain how this is a lie. So uh, I'm, I'm smiling. I, I was invited to be a graduation speaker at an elementary school, and um, <laughs> I opened it up with, you know, the, the students are sitting in front of me, all the faculty and parents, uh, and, and I said, your, your teachers and, and parents have been lying to you. Um, that, that didn't go over quite as well as I'd <laughs> hoped. Um, uh, but, but we do do that, right? Uh, you know, our narratives about young people is they are our victims that we need to protect or, or, or potential victims. Uh, they're perpetrators that we need to punish. Um, so we incarcerate young people. We medicate young people. We, we turn our schools into prisons, literally, uh, with metal detectors, police officers, um, or, or, or we locate their power in the future, right? We, we go in and we tell young people they're going to be great artists, leaders, writers, activists, uh, thinkers someday in the distant future, Um and the intention is good, right? The intention is to locate um, our hopes and, and our dreams and, and, and visions for young people and who they can be. Um, but the practice is so disempowering, right? But, right? The message is so disempowering. Because what we're telling young people uh, is you have to wait, um, that, that you can't do these things uh, now. Um, and, in fact, if, if you look at, at the research, um, you know, young people are, are some of our most powerful innovators uh, because of their proximity to the problem and also because they are not fettered um, in the, in the, in the ways of thinking. They're not sort of trapped in the systems that say, well, we just can't do that. Hmm. And it's so interesting to think about how when we deliver that message that in a sense might inadvertently disconnect young people from getting into the thick of of, of the of the work of peacemaking, we're in a sense robbing the cause of some of the people that might be the most effective. That's right. And, you know, our, our country is full of that in our history, you know, whether it's it's Native Americans, African Americans, and, and, and the lack of citizenship, uh, women um, unable to vote. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I think our, our complicated 
uh, arc of, of justice is trying to draw the circle of, of citizenship. And then I use that term broadly, sort of feeling like you're both an owner and a contributor uh, and have power within the system of, of trying to draw that, that circle bigger and bigger. Um, and I think young people um, need to be included in that, in that circle. In this same chapter, uh, this same introduction, um, you you make a really important point, I think, that's worth exploring when you say, peace can be a difficult idea to wrap your hands around. It can seem passive, being weak and letting others take advantage of you. It can feel soft and fuzzy, sitting in a quiet meadow, holding hands and singing songs. It is often defined by what it is not no conflicts, and fewer weapons. And it can seem unattainable, needing to measure up to iconic leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, and Mother Teresa. But peace can also be strong and active. It can be daring and bold, and it is something you can do every day. So what is the way in which you are thinking about peace and peacemaking uh, within the context of this book? Because that word can mean very different things to different people, as you've just alluded to in this paragraph. It's such a great question. And, you know, um, language matters, right, the language that we use. And, you know, I come out of the violence prevention field uh, where I work and got my start really helping to prevent violence. Um, and what I realized is that so much of that language was negative. It was about stopping young people from doing things. Uh, it was looking at young people as diseased. And so what I wanted to do through this reclaiming of the word peace is to take something that, that everyone agrees is a good thing, right? There's not really a, an anti-peace uh, crowd out there, right? The sense that, oh, yeah, peace is great. Like, we, we want peace. Um, but it's almost lost its meaning. Um, and so we wanted to take this, this word that's global and, and big and, and create something that was meaningful and muscular for young people. It's something they could they could have as an identity. Like I'm a peacemaker. Like that's what I do. That's who I am. Um, and so for us, peacemaking is grounded in three big ideas. Uh, one is compassion, uh, the ability to cross lines of difference to see other people's needs as your own. Um, and so I write about this commitment to opening your heart. Um, courage, the ability to take a risk, to, to stand up. Uh, for, for yourself, uh, for someone else, for an idea, um, and then collaborative leadership. So wanting to move away from the narratives of single individuals driving change and reflecting how change happens, which is, you know, networks of people getting together to make the world a better place. So we wanted to, in, in this book, create language that, that soared, that, that invited young people to be part of something big, um, but then also made it very specific. Right. Peacemaking is when you offer your seat to someone. You know, peacemaking is, is learning someone else's point of view. Uh, peacemaking is, is the art of, of putting into practice this commitment to take risks and work with others. Mm. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Eric David Dawson. He is the CEO and co-founder of the group Peace First and the author of a brand new book called Putting Peace First, Seven Commitments to Change the World. Uh, in some respects, the heart and soul of your book uh, involves those seven commitments which you call your Peacemaker Manifesto, a set of commitments to guide you 
on your journey. Um, tell our listeners about the Peacemaker Manifesto. You know, as, as I was putting this, this book together, what I realized is we spend so much time asking young people what they want to do when they grow up. Right? That's our message. Like, what do you want to do? Um, but, but we don't spend enough time asking young people who they want to be right now. And, and so the idea of, of writing this as a manifesto, um, and, and I co-created and I wrote this with a group of young people. Um, so their language, their ideas and infused uh, the creation of it. Is I wanted to give a set of principles um, by which young people can structure their lives. Um, so rather than saying in, in situation A, this is what you should do, situation B, this is what you should do, um, ground young people in a set of beliefs uh, and practices about, about what it means to move through the world uh, with a peacemaking lens. Um, and, and I love the idea of a manifesto, right, this, this, this thing that, that you sign on to that represents um, how you see the world and how you see yourself in the world. I want you to talk for a moment about uh, one of these specific commitments, and I think it's very interesting within the context of the others. Put peace first every day, raise my hand, I mean, get in there, open my heart, take a stand, bring others along, keep trying, all very, very obvious and clearly true. Uh, the one that probably is a little bit tricky for some people is commitment six, or maybe the trickiest, I should say, of the sick of the seven. Work with my enemies. I will cross lines of difference to get things done. I will not let history, fear, or mistrust keep me from connecting with people who can help. I can find common cause on a few things without needing to agree on everything. Uh, of all of these seven commitments, this is probably the one that is uh, the most timely and probably in some respects the most intimidating, just given the culture in which we're living uh, right now. Uh, describe more about what you're thinking of here and uh, maybe how this has been true for you and how it can be true true for all of us when we learn to somehow work with our enemies. I love that you center on that one. One, because it was the, the language that I put in there, um, I got a lot of pushback on that. That seemed negative, that the sense that we've got enemies is, is not the way to locate this. Um, uh, and, and, I, and I did because I, I wanted to play with that language um, because we do define people as our enemies, um, whether whether that, that kid in school who's unkind to us or, or the the, the, the political party that, that's against things that we believe in. Um, and, and when you define someone as your enemy, um, it, it gives this, this sense of um, they're excluded from our circle of concern, right? We draw our circles of concern smaller and smaller. You know, it originally was called uh, work with unlikely allies. Um, mm. and, and I really, I really wanted to lift up this, this language because um, it felt so important right now. Um, you know, and, and, and the story I tell as, as part of this work is, uh, is Baba Tunde, a, a young man from Baltimore who uh, walking home from the police, uh, walking home from school, was stopped by the police on suspicion of something or other and handcuffed thrown to the ground and, and threatened and then, and then released. Um, and not, not an unusual experience for, for a young man of color in, in, in Baltimore. And you know, he, he took that experience and he interviewed other young people of color about their experiences, you know, 17 years old. Um, but he didn't stop there. He, he then went and interviewed police officers 
um, and ask them about their experiences. What, what's it like when you walk up to a group of young people you don't know? What, what, what goes through your mind? Um, and his insight was that police officers and young people are, are terrified of each other because they don't they don't know each other. Um, and so designed this really innovative training that brought together police officers and young people to um, act out different scenarios where the police officers had to be young people and vice versa uh, in, in these high-pressure, uh, high-stakes situations to create that sense of empathy. Um, and what for me was so moving about about Babatunde's story is that he went um, and, and, and worked with police officers against a tremendous amount of pressure not to do that um, from his community, from his friends, uh, from police officers, you know, who were very resistant uh, to having a 17-year-old come and tell them what to do. Um, and you know, what's so powerful is what he realized is that the, the enemy, you know, quote-unquote, um, has got to be part of the solution. That, that, that you can't just work on this from the perspective of young people, but you have to change the system. Um, and, and, you know, in, in writing his story, I, I gave all, all the young people who I feature in the book a chance to just review it and make sure I captured uh, what, was, what was right and true. Um, and, you know, where he pushed back on the way I told the story originally was that it, it seemed too neat. Like it, it had this arc that made it sound like, like everything was great. He grew to love police officers. Um, and that wasn't true to his experience. Um, he grew to understand that they, too, are victims of a system that, that dehumanizes everybody. Um, but, but that it, it wasn't like he went through this experience and, and learned to love police officers and became a police officer himself. Um, but rather, he, he came to see that there's an opportunity to partner around critical issues uh, that can help liberate everyone. Um, and so working with your enemy is about that. It, it's about realizing that that our liberation is bound up together. Um, you know, we can't fix sexism uh, without changing the way we raise our boys. Um, we, we just can't. Um, and so that this message to young people is, who are people who disagree with you or might be standing in your way, and how can you enlist them in places where you have common ground? Hmm. We're speaking with Eric David Dawson uh, about his new book called Putting Peace First, Seven Commitments to Change the World. It is, uh, in a sense, a guidebook meant to be a, a galvanizing inspiration for young people uh, to be peacemakers in their own communities, whatever that means, and uh, around whatever uh, issues are of, of a special concern for them. So we've already talked about your Peacemaker Manifesto and the seven commitments that uh, comprise it, and then we should say that your your book goes on to explore seven young people who have been peacemakers. You just told one of those stories, and uh, and each one of these seven commitments has a particular story uh, attached to it. Uh, tell us more about how you came to know these seven young peacemakers, and were they each uh, peacemakers whom you have worked with uh, through Peace First, or by other means did you come to know their own uh, stories? Yeah, and I should say, I would say one of the hardest parts of writing this book was uh, choosing which stories to highlight. I, I could have written thousands of chapters um, about about so many young people doing interesting, creative, dynamic uh, work. Um, so Peace First is a, is a global platform for 13 to 25-year-olds who, who want to change the world and, and aren't quite sure where to start. So just as we run science fairs in, in communities, we run social justice if you will, 
uh, digitally, helping young people identify an issue, create a solution, and then we invest in their ideas with, with money, mentoring, tools. Um, and as part of this work, we have a prize, like a, like a Nobel Peace Prize for young people to, to lift up and invest in young people's courageous work. Um, and so through that, we've, we've met you know, thousands of young people um, who have done really creative, brave, um, compassionate, peacemaking work. And so these are all young people that I met through the Peace First Prize process um, who, are, um, who felt like very human examples of, of what it takes to be a peacemaker. And so in crafting the stories, I wanted to lift up their extraordinariness, their, their bravery, their compassion, but also really focus on their ordinariness. Um, that, that these young people have done some really cool, interesting things, um, but they're not superheroes. These are all things that we can do, and they are, um, they are both um, exemplars, but also very, and, and they would be the first to say this, but very flawed human um, leaders. In some respects, the, the perfect embodiment of what you were just talking about is the story you tell around Commitment 7, which is, Keep trying, the subtitle of that. I will own my mistakes and learn from them. I will apologize for the hurt I cause and learn how to be a more caring person. I will remind myself and everyone around me that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to keep trying to do what is right and just. I really like the way you you say that. Uh, Tell our listeners about the story of Mary Pat and uh, the... uh, frustrations that were a part of the uh, important work that she was trying to to do uh, in her own community. Mary Pat is a a young woman uh, who was growing up uh, just outside of Atlanta, and one of the observations she made to me in in her interview was that as a 15-year-old, she had been to more funerals and graduations, Um, that gun violence was a a regular part of her life and and a regular part of of, of so many people's lives. and, and her, her idea was to take those same tools that we use to dissuade young people and, and adults from smoking cigarettes or using drugs, these shock ads, and apply it to gun violence. And, and her issue is, and she'd be the first to say, it isn't guns. Per se, it's, it's the fact that guns are used to hurt and harm other people. Um, and so she had this idea to create these, these public service announcements, these billboards that would get young people to think twice before picking up a gun. And she was really clear that she wanted to lift this up um, out of the sense that the gun violence is a problem just in the black community or poor communities. But, uh, and, and we see this increasingly uh, with these mass shootings and suicides, that the gun violence is something that affects all of us. Um, and so uh, she had this idea and, and, and went to, to get help uh, from advertising agencies, from billboard companies, from philanthropists, um, and again and again and again and again and again, the answer was no. Uh, you're too young. This won't work. It doesn't make sense. Um, we ended up giving her a, a, a large grant to get this off the ground. Uh, and even then, the the, the you know, same billboards that put up advertising for, for strip clubs uh, with scantily clad women um, in, in suggestive poses, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't okay uh, many of her images because they were too... They were too um, risque. Uh, these these kind of messages around 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 gun violence. Um, but she got her billboards up, and uh, she did it for a summer. And, and the police did this interesting study of her work, where 
um, you know, they've got different districts. And the district where she put her billboards up had dramatic reductions in gun violence that summer. Um, and the other districts did not. Like this great proof point um, of the effect and the effectiveness of what she's doing. And still, when, when she ran out of money, they took the billboards down and back up went the pawn shops and the strip clubs. Um, and she couldn't she couldn't get anyone else to invest and believe in this idea. Um, and 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 one of the reasons I wanted to tell her story is, um, you know, the way that we tell history is in reverse. Um, so you know, you know, of course, Dr. King was going to lead the march in Selma. Of course, the Montgomery bus boycott was going to be a success. Um, but in the moment, none of those things were true. Um, there's fear. There's confusion. There, there are mistakes. And so I wanted young people to know that that's part of their journey as well. Um, the fact that um, they will make mistakes. We will make mistakes. There will be confusions. There will be failures. Um, and that that's an important part of the journey. Um, and the commitment is to keep trying. The commitment is to get back up again and try something different. Mm. And I appreciate that uh, in uh, one of the other commitments as you are talking about what people should be kind of thinking about and 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 and, and attempting that uh, the whole matter of of courage of being courageous can look different to different people I mean we sometimes think of when somebody has courage or is courageous it means this and uh, courage can take a lot of different forms and even someone who is a very sort of shy gentle retiring kind of person can be just as courageous as kind of the larger-than-life figures in our life that we might more immediately and easily think of as being figures of, of courage and confidence and so on. Uh, I, I think it's a terrific idea to get not just young people but all of us thinking in broader terms about the ways in which this can happen and the kinds of people who can be part of it. I think that's exactly right. Um, you know, we... And some of this is, is connected to how we, you know, think about, um, you know, think about power um, and privilege um, and, and what we tend to um, tend to focus on. You, you know, for me, courage is not about not being afraid, um, but it's what you do with that fear. Um, and, and so what I want to encourage young people and really all of us to do is to think about risk. Um, you know, so many of us, when we encounter a situation, whatever it is, we tend to start with, what do I get out of it? You know, we tend to locate ourselves around our own needs. Uh, then most of us move to a place where we ask, what, what, what can I give? Right? We move to a place of generosity. Um, but rarely do we make that next step and ask, what am I willing to give up? You know, to talk about sacrifice. You know, as I think about our country right now, I, I, am, I am most worried about, about that. This, this lack of investment in our, in our public good. Um, you know, so we, we pull our kids out of the public school systems. We get fast-track um, cards at Disney World so we don't need to wait in the lines. There, there are private highways that are being built in California that's sort of removing ourselves from the public space and the commitment to that public space. Um, and so what, what I wanted young people to think about is not just like what they can give, but, but what, what are they willing to give up? And to me, that's what courage is. It's that risk taking. And so for one young person, it might be speaking up when they're, when they're terrified. Uh, it might be trying something new that they've never done before, uh, where failure is likely. 
um, or it might be sitting down and creating space for other people. Um, so, so risk looks different for different people in different moments, um, but it's, it's got to be part of our equation as, as we're looking to create the, the beloved community. Absolutely. I want to say that your book goes on to spell out six steps for imagining and implementing a peacemaking project where you choose a particular injustice or problem that you care about. You uh, need to understand it, really look at what is the root cause of the problem. Imagine how you might uh, solve it or how that problem might be solved. Plan something, a solution into concrete steps. Act. (laughs) And keep acting when you hit bumps in the road and then reflect uh, as you are working and as, uh, and as the project completes, uh, just thinking about uh, the, the, way, uh, the way it has happened and, 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 and what you did and what the consequences were. I mean, I really think that's uh, important because, as you, as you alluded to earlier in the book, it's very easy to think about all of this in very nebulous terms. And clearly, that's one thing you really want to avoid. You want people not only to have these compassionate, concerned thoughts about their community, but you want them to act on them. And you want this book to be a guide to to help make that possible. That's right. You know, to me, peacemaking has got to be embodied. Um, you know, it's not enough to to want things to happen, but you have to make things happen. Um, and what I wanted to, to give to young people was a step-by-step guide on, on how to do it. Um, and, um, you know, so young, some young people know exactly what issues they want to tackle. Others don't. Um, some young people know how to run and facilitate a meeting. Others don't. Um, and so this, this book is really a how-to guide, step-by-step workbook on how you create a peacemaking project. Um, and it's supported by our digital platform at peacefirst.org that has the same tools to help young people uh, create projects that have impact. And I have to say that uh, as inspiring as this book will surely be for young people who are the readers for whom it is primarily uh, uh, designed and directed, that in fact anybody has a lot to learn from your book, and I'm sure you would agree. That's my hope. Um, You know, there's been a lot of I think, interest in student organizing after the shootings in in Parkland, Florida. And and a lot of us, myself included, have been really inspired by the way young people have committed to taking action. Um, And there's been this interesting narrative that on the surface sounds really positive, but I think if you dig deeper, it's problematic. So, you know, the idea is that, you know, young people get us out of this mess. Young people will figure this out. We need to let young people lead the way. Um, and you know, as I've been talking to some young people in, in that in that particular movement. You know, what I'm hearing from them is, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> like you all have a role in this too. Like we will play our part, but, but you have a role to play in this too. Um, and in each one of these seven stories, adults played a really important role. You know, sometimes you know I don't want to use this language, but sometimes there's a villain, they're sort of standing in the way, um, but also really enabling. Um, all these young people talk about a caring adult who took them seriously. All of these young people talk about a, an adult who helped them think about their impact and, and drive change. Like there, there's a there's a central role we all need to play. Mm-hmm. And my hope is that adults pick up this book and, and not only get inspired um, by the stories, but but think about how they can build and model these practices themselves. 
The book, again, is Putting Peace First, Seven Commitments to Change the World, published by Viking, the author, Eric David Dawson. Eric David Dawson, thank you so much for this important book, and thank you for joining me today on The Morning Show. Thanks so much for having me.